We welcome you back to Indianapolis, Indiana, and the official Titans podcast, better known as the OTP. Mike Keith with Amy Wells. Hello, Mike. How are you doing? So good. I love the combine. Let's take a tour of the AFC South on today's OTP. Great. And let's begin with the Jacksonville Jaguars, 6-10 and 10 a year ago under Doug Marone. New offensive coordinator Jay Gruden, defensive coordinator Todd Wash. Tom Coughlin is no longer there. There is question about who the quarterback is. They have picks 9 and 20 in the first round, 42 and 73 in the second and third round. And here to take us through more of the details is the longtime voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars, Frank Frangie. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Mike, uh, it's great to be with you and Amy. Thanks for having me on at, uh, in Chile, kind of chilly here. In Nashville, it gets cold. Florida, it doesn't, so I'm cold. So let's talk – the decision for Coughlin to depart and Dave Caldwell steps really back up as the yeah. GM. He was still the GM before, but really in name only. And they and they hang on to Doug Marone. Do you notice even with only one change in the leadership structure, a shift in the Jags? Yeah, it's a great question, Mike. I, I don't people I don't think people know yet what to expect. It happened in season but toward the end of the season. Uh, I think it's streamlined a little bit. It's interesting. The, the paradigm's interesting in, in the chain of command. Doug Marone doesn't report to Dave Caldwell. Doug and Dave individually report to Shad Khan, the owner, and that's, that's the plan. And so I think they want to streamline it a little bit. I think they feel like there was some magic before, or certainly uh, it worked before, so let's try and, and refine this a little. But I don't know that anyone knows exactly how it's going to go. I, just being honest, I don't think we have a great feel for it. Um, it's a very important year. It's a very, I think everybody knows. I think Dave would tell you. I think Doug would tell you. It's a you-have-to-win-now year for those guys. And a lot of people in the community thought they should have rebooted the whole thing. They chose not to. Dave and Doug know that. So it's a very important year for the Jacks. There was a lot of, we'll call it confusion, over what was going to happen with the leadership structure within the Jags. How was that maybe received by fans in Jacksonville, some of that well, to, unknowing yeah. and yeah. that Just confusion. to jump in on that, yeah. the confusion yeah. is there was a national report that Doug right. Marone had been told he was fired. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go f- to the – let me th- go big picture, 10,000 feet. It was a weird year. <laughs> it, I mean, think about this. You're really good in 2017. You're five minutes from the Super Bowl. Probably should have won that game. Um, you come back in 18 and you think you're going to be pretty good. Got a lot of guys hurt, weren't very good. So you spend $88 million on a quarterback. 88 million, 50, 50, Amy, 50 million guaranteed on this quarterback. And he gets hurt 11 plays into your season. 11 plays. Then this rookie comes along who's so compelling and so exciting and 21 touchdowns and six picks. But then. You lose Jalen Ramsey because Jalen doesn't want to be there, and he has a falling out with the front office. And Dante Fowler, it's, I'm telling you, I've done this a long time. It's the strangest year I've ever been around. So I think to answer your question, fans weren't sure what to think. They didn't know what to think. And now the Coughlin thing happens at the end. Here's my take. Tom Coughlin was brought in not as a, the ultimate decision maker, the ultimate overseer to approve and disapprove of decisions. I don't think Tom said, draft this guy, cut that guy. 
I think Dave Caldwell said, let's draft this guy, cut this guy, and Tom said, yes, yes, or uh, maybe no, no. I, I don't think he coached the team. I don't think he picked the players. I think he was the overseer, not a consultant. It was more than that. But I think he was the overseer, the, the, final, the final read on the, on the story. And so what's happened now is I don't think Dave makes decisions any differently. I don't think Doug coaches any differently. I think there's not the final say. They don't have to run it through the principal uh, anymore, and I think that's what's changed. Fans don't know what to make of it. None of us do. None of us. Do. I like Doug and Dave very much. They're, they're friends, and, and I'm rooting for them, but I don't think anybody knows what to make of this whole change. Is Garner Minshew or Nick Foles the quarterback? I like the room, Mike. I like the quarterback room. I Don't forget the guy won a Super Bowl, yeah. and he's, he's a good player. He came back probably a little early last year. Uh, he came back, get hurt, gets hurt 11 plays in. Probably came back before he should have come back. Um, he throws for 296 yards uh, against the Colts, and they lose because the Colts run for 200 yards. He throws for 276 yards against you guys, and he loses. He, he, we, we lose because Derrick Henry ran for 7,000 yards in one game. <laughs> and so okay, we haven't tackled him yet. One day we're going to tackle Derrick Henry. Okay? So, but the point is, can't stop the run, can't stop the run. So he's playing from behind the whole time. That didn't play great, didn't play bad. Has a bad first half against Tampa, gets benched, never plays again. I think Nick Foles is a good player. you got to protect. Someone said, well, the truth is they had to play Minshew because he's more mobile and you can't protect. So if you can't protect, you got to play Minshew. i got news. If you can't protect, you're going to lose anyway, right? right. So, so it doesn't yeah. matter. I think they're both good players. I think Minshew did some really good things. What I don't know is who the quarterback's going to be because I don't think anybody knows that. Well, and Gardner Minshew was a compelling player, as you had said, both as a player and as a personality. Is that something that weighs in on that decision, the personality of someone like that? It's a great question. The, the, the presence in the community, the presence on TV and, and, and the RV and the jorts and the glasses <laughs> and all the stuff. I don't think so, but – this fan base has had so much bad happen, they want him to be the quarterback. Now, that, that's not going to affect the decision, but it's in there, isn't it? Right. It's in there. It, it really is. So I don't think it affects the decision. I think the best guy is going to play. But, but the Gardner thing, I almost feel like it's a gut punch to Jags fans if he's not playing. It's a weird deal. Money-wise, you got to clear some room. How many different things are they going to have to do to get the room that they need, Frank Frangie? I can't imagine, Mike, that they would bring Marcel Darius back at $20 million. He's a good player, and they, they were not very good against the run. So I'm contradicting myself. I'm saying the biggest problem is couldn't stop the run. Now they're going to maybe not bring back their best run-stuffing uh, lineman, but he's $20 million. I can't think he'll come back. A.J. Boye's $11 million, didn't play very well. Uh, Marquise Lee's $6 million, didn't play at all. Uh, Jeff Swain, a tight end, six million, didn't play at all. So I think what's that? I just cleared fifty. You know, I, th- I think I think those are probably the guys. And I'm guessing. I don't know that, but I'm guessing those are the cuts you make. And all of a sudden, you got a little room. I would. I think it'd be hard to bring those guys back. Do you think that free agency is where the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to fill some of those holes and start to build this team? to what it needs to be? You know what, Amy, I think they're going to try and find a tight end in free agency because rookie tight ends take a while. So I think my guess would be tight end and then some periphery guys. But you got to build through the draft. They picked ninth and 20th. That's why we're here because they had two picks in the top 20 for crying out loud. So so they picked ninth and 20th. Uh, they pick again 40th. That's where they're going to rebuild this team. They think they have a – it's going to sound crazy. As bad as they were last year, last two years, they believe they've got some pieces. Uh, they sure. They've got to bring Calais back. They've got to get Ngakwe signed. Josh Allen is going to be special. I will tell you he's going to be special. That was special. a great pick. It, yeah, it, it was good that he was there at seven. So I think they feel like they've got some pieces. But I think more to your question, more the draft than free agents. What did they do with Yannick Ngakwe? 
I think you got to pay him. I mean, he wants 22 mil. They don't want to go there. They offered 19 mil, then they took it off the table. Frank Clark, I guess, is the highest paid DL, D lineman, which made 21 and change, I think. Yannick wants to be the highest paid guy. See, here, here's the X factor with that. He's a really good player. But he, he did hurt him a little bit against the run because he's 240 pounds. And yet he's a 4-3 he's a, he's a end at 240, and a 330-pound offensive lineman gets his hands on him, and the Colts and the Titans have these good offensive lines, and they get their hands on him. He's hurt. I think, you know, we talk about the great pass rushers in the league. People talk about Lawrence Taylor, Reggie White. Well, they're two entirely different guys. Sure. Reggie White's a 295-pound defensive lineman. Lawrence Taylor's a 245-pound linebacker. Well, I think Yannick's the latter more than the former, but you got to let him play like that. You can't line him up as a 4-3 end, and I think that's worked against him. But to your question, I can't imagine, even if they have to tag him, I can't imagine they'll play next year without Yannick Ngakwe. They don't have enough good players to get rid of one of their very good players. Give me your top three needs for free agency and or did I take yours? That was going to be my question. Okay. My key. Uh, I'm yeah. sorry. I love You're, it when that happens. Frank Frangie, <laughs> yeah. Jacksonville Jaguars, top three needs <laughs> yep. for free agency and or the draft. They have no tight ends. you got to have a tight end. What about so, the Hooper guy yeah. in Atlanta would apparently is going to make mm-hmm. it to free agency? Would love to pay him, give him the St. John's River. I would give him <laughs> half the stadium. The um, they, need a, they need a veteran tight end. So free agency, Mike, I would say tight end. Other than that, they've got to build the trenches. You've watched, you've sure. watched Derrick Henry run against him. Uh, we've watched other guys run against them. I think, I said this before, picks 9, 20, and I think it's 40. I don't know. 42. And, 40, so 9, 20, and 42. I want them to all weigh 300 pounds. I don't care. I, I'm serious about that. I don't care if they're offensive linemen, defensive linemen. That's, what, that's where they're the weakest is in the trenches, and even in, in, in the interior of the trenches, they got to get bigger and stronger. So I think tight end one, trenches on both sides, Mike, too, at least for me. How many pieces away? I know you talked about areas of need, but realistically, you talked about pieces. How many pieces does this team really need to get back into now, the AFC South? You know the funny thing about that is if the quarterback plays well, Amy, if the quarterback plays well, that changes the number of pieces you need. Uh, I like the receivers. They'll probably draft one because there's so many here. Everyone's going to draft one. But I like the receivers. Uh, I like two or three of the offensive linemen. Um, I love the running back. You know, he doesn't get enough. He he really bounced back. He 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 had a bounce back year. Leonard Fournette had a really good year last year. It doesn't get a credit. So I think they're okay there. Um, their ends. If you have Calais Campbell, Yannick Ngakwe, and Josh Allen, Miles Jack's pretty good linebacker. They've got pieces. Uh, they need one more linebacker. They got to figure out cornerback because AJ Boye didn't play very well, and then they got to figure out the trenches. But I, there's, if they get quarterback play, look, look at you guys. Okay, when Mariota wasn't playing very well, the Titans weren't a very good team. They just weren't. When Tannehill comes in and plays great, all of a sudden they're a very good team. At least that's from from afar. It's one hundred percent what happened. Yeah, yep. and so so you got to have quarterback play. I think it's a big part of it. Frank Frangi, the voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Thank you so much for giving us a little thumbnail on your team, Mike and Amy. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Take care, guys. Taking Frank's place is the irreplaceable Matt Taylor, the play-by-play guy for the Indianapolis Colts. So we're going from Jacksonville to, to Indianapolis. Indianapolis. Yeah. Boom. Didn't have to travel very far. No, you didn't. Direct flight. (laughs) So the the combine here, everyone else gets to travel for the combine. How far do you have to come? So I I live on the south side of Lucas Oil Stadium, about a 10-minute drive. 
So if you just go south on West Street and just keep on going 10 minutes south, I'm right there. So, so. do you get to fill out an expense report this week? <laughs> yeah, I wish. Yeah, I, I wish. Go. I think he just invited us over for dinner. I would, love, I to, just I would love to have you guys over. In all seriousness, <laughs> come. I don't know how long you're here, but Friday night or Saturday night, I would love to have you guys over. Well, sounds real. good. you got to put up with a th- screaming three-year-old. That's okay. I don't know mm. if you can handle that or not. Oh, I don't mind. I've done that. <laughs> That's over for Mike's me. Mike's over yeah. it. But I love having home field advantage, so to speak, for the combine. I get to go home, sleep in my own bed, hang out with my wife and family, so it's That's great. That's nice. Yeah. All great. right, so let's talk Colts here. Indianapolis Colts in 2019-7 and 9. Uh, Frank Reich completes his second year. Offensive coordinator is Nick Sirianni. Defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus. Everybody back? Yep. And any major staff changes? Uh, they changed out the wide receiver coach. They brought in Mike Grove from Philadelphia. Yeah, okay. Um, Former so, offensive coordinator. Exactly. So he and Frank Reich know each other very well. Um, and according to Frank, Mike really contributed a lot with the Philadelphia Eagles two years ago or three years ago when they won the Super Bowl. So when he became available on the uh, you know coaching free agent market, so to speak, they snatched him up. And they also moved the wide receiver coach from last year, Kevin Petullo, into a new expanded role. And that new role is going to be, make, make sure I get this right, it's passing game specialist, passing game coordinator, um, for the offense, which it makes sense because that's a major focal point for the Colts this offseason is getting more efficiency, more contributions from the quarterback, the receivers. I mean, they averaged under 200 yards passing last year, uh, which just isn't going to cut it, even though the Colts were a top seven rushing team. Uh, you just have to be able to throw the ball more consistently than the Colts did last year. So it makes sense they're focusing uh, more of their coaching staff on getting better to help whomever plays quarterback. All right, year. Matt. Five and two through seven games, only win two of the last nine. What did you feel like happened that went wrong down the stretch for the Indianapolis Colts? Well, a lot. I mean, you look at I mean, all three phases. You had some really uh, up and down play on special teams. You know, Adam Vinatieri by far had the worst year of his career. He missed 14 kicks, six extra points. Uh, it just sort of came out of nowhere. And, of course, he's a free agent this year, so – you know, everybody's wondering whether or not his career is over or at the very least whether or not he's going to come back and play for the Colts. On offense, I kind of just talked about it. They had some really inconsistent play from their quarterback position, and then they had just a litany of injuries on offense to their skill spots. I mean, Eric Ebron goes on IR. T.Y. Hilton misses, you know, eight or nine games. Uh, Paris Campbell, who had so much fanfare and potential coming out as a rookie out of Ohio State, he misses 10 games, has four different injuries, has to have three uh, surgeries on those injuries. So, I mean, you're just decimated uh, offensively speaking. I mean, I'm not into, not to overwhelm you with stats, but Zach Paschal ended up being their leading receiver last year. 51 wide receivers in the NFL had more receiving yards than the Colts' leading receiver last year. That that tells you a story at, at how um, how much how much gain the Colts need to make in their passing game this year. So uh, that's the offense and special teams defensively down the stretch. They gave up some big plays. You know, Ryan Tannehill had the huge bomb late in the game uh, the second time the Colts played the Titans, um, and that was kind of the theme down the stretch. You know, Jameis Winston had a career day against them. We all saw it on Monday Night Football with Drew Brees 
did, completing 96.7% of his passes, which is just unreal. Um, you know, Gardner Minshew in Week 17 had a big game against him. So they, the defense in the passing game allowed some chunk plays the last five weeks that weren't there the first 11. So it was uh, really at the, at the, you know, as soon as the calendar hit November, things just went, they spiraled out of control for the Colts. Is it interesting for you to be having questions about a quarterback that aren't related to an injury of some sort? I mean, for the first time since 1998, the Colts, they don't have their franchise quarterback and they don't have the number one overall pick to fix it. You know, so I guess, you know, some people around town are saying welcome to life in the NFL. This is what this is what most franchises have to do. Yeah, you guys get to have two once-in-a-lifetime exactly. quarterbacks. No question. Yeah. So, I mean, Andrew Luck, uh, it's, it's still a – a lightning rod topic around town here. I mean, most people um, are still having a hard time coming to grips with, hey, I, I can't believe it happened. And uh, to some degree, I think the Colts, you know, Jim Ursay talked about that. They're, they're still kind of in disbelief as well. Um, but as soon as that happened, you have to go to work because you're playing a game in two weeks and you got to roll with the, with the cards you're dealt there, so to speak, with Jacoby Brissett, and it worked out the way it did. So, you know, the internal balance going on with the Colts right now is – does Jacoby Brissett have a higher ceiling than he showed last year? In a lot of ways, last year was his first time being the guy, the starter, the unquestioned uh, quarterback for a franchise. Um, and then what's out there on the free agent market with you know, Phillip Rivers or Derek Carr? Is he going to be made available? Andy Dalton? I mean, it's the first time I think ever we can say there's the supply at the quarterback position in free agency is, is higher than the demand. So there's a lot of options for the Colts in that regard. But still, that's probably a two to three tops uh, Band-Aid on the situation. Uh, or do they, you know, invest high draft capital on a quarterback at number 13 overall? Uh, or would they move up to grab two of the top 10 or top five or you know it's just really really interesting to talk about the quarterback with the Colts considering to your point Amy we've we've gone 20 years knowing who's going to play quarterback for this franchise the Colts haven't drafted a quarterback since 2012 the year Andrew Luck came out they're the only team in the league that can say that or that has gone that long without drafting quarterback I, I say in all reality that that probably changes this year taking care of the quarterback is super important and left tackle Anthony Costanzo could be a free agent is kind of getting a deal done with him and solidifying that spot one of the top priorities this offseason well Chris Ballard met with the media today Tuesday at the combine and one of the one of the leading stories was he has talked to Anthony and he's confident that he's going to come back to the Colts so that's a huge sigh of relief for you know Chris the franchise because you got an offensive line that's arguably one of the best in the NFL all five guys started intact together most of them didn't miss a snap all year which is just unheard of it's the first time since 2000 uh, the Colts can say that playing all five guys every game um, it's just there's so many things the Colts have to do this offseason had Anthony Costanzo retired it just would have added another one another level and that was a huge that was a huge if he's going to come back now that we know he's probably coming back you know, it solidifies your left tackle spot at least for next season, so you don't have to, you know, potentially draft or you know uh, allocate a lot of draft resources for that. Um, so it opens the door for going after more positions of need in the more immediate future, like like I talked about, a playmaking wide receiver or a defensive lineman up front when they, they play the four three defense. 
So maybe they get an impactful three technique, a guy that can clog up the middle and uh, generate more of a pass rush than the Colts got last year. So Anthony Costanza coming back is a huge home run as far as the offseason goes for the Colts. And the good news is you talk about all of that from the Colts' perspective, you got a bunch of money. Got a lot of money. Bunch I mean, of money. And so you could go from, I mean, seven, like I said, if, if you make some kicks, play better defense, the Colts are easily nine and seven, ten and six. Maybe they make the playoffs. Maybe sure. they win the division. Um, but we always like to play the coulda, woulda, shoulda game. And it, it, when it's all said and done, you're seven and nine. But like I said, they've got 13th overall pick, which is much higher than they're used to drafting, so they can get some impactful players through the draft. They've got three draft picks in the top 44. They've got two second rounders, so they got some equity to you know play with if they want to move up. Plus, you talked about all the money they have in um, in, in terms of the salary cap, the most money uh, in the NFL. But we know Chris Ballard, even with that, he's not going to overspend. He's going to set a value on guys, and if if you want more than what we're in, you know and what we have allocated towards you, then we, we feel good at night uh, knowing that we're going to sleep well and we'll have another option. We'll go to plan B, plan C. Um, but I, I think this, this offseason feels different to me. This is just me talking. My gut reaction is I think the Colts will be a little bit more aggressive in free agency. They've got the infrastructure. They've got the core pieces they've built through the draft the last three years to be able to – I don't know what the right word is, uh, accommodate or welcome in more big-dollar free agents. So I think the Colts are going to make a little bit more of a splash this offseason, both in free agency and the draft. Like I said, some point in the draft, I think a quarterback comes to the Colts. Matt Taylor, voice of the Indianapolis Colts, thank you for stopping by. My pleasure, as always. It's your home here in Indianapolis. Love talking to you guys. And uh, we look forward to dinner Friday night at your house. Yeah, we'll be there. <laughs> Anytime. We've hit Jacksonville, we've hit the Colts, and now we're talking about the Houston Texans with the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer. Thank you for joining Amy and me. We appreciate it. Last but not least, I hope. That's exactly how we look at it. The All grand right. finale. Another 10-6. and six. Yep. Another division championship. A lot of good things have happened for the Houston Texans in recent years. Uh, same fate we did, ran into the Kansas City Chiefs. Yes. Had a lead like we did. I know it wasn't good for you either. No, it wasn't, it wasn't our favorite. Yep. No. But still, a, another successful season and a year where, you know, there were some things that went against the Houston Texans, had some injuries, fought back, and found a way to win the division. Probably one of the more gratifying years that you've covered the team? Well, I think up until that last game, right? right? Because every year is different. Bill O'Brien always says this, and it is for every team. You look at some of the records, they might end up the same, but how you get there, the path to get there, as you well know. So I, I thought this year had some really great things because they beat the Chiefs on the road in the regular season. They beat the Patriots at home for the first time in 10 years they beat New England, and that was a huge game on a Sunday night. Awesome. Went to London, blew out the Jags. That was a great trip. So there were some memorable moments for sure. Went out to the Chargers and beat them out there, which at the time it was week three. It, was, it felt like a bigger win than it turned out to be. But beating really good quarterbacks has been a problem in the O'Brien era, and they finally got over the hump in many ways this year doing that. Now the problem was you lost to Kyle Allen and the Carolina Panthers. You lost to Drew Locke and the Denver Broncos a week after the nice win over the Patriots. So there was some inconsistency. But at the end of the day, 10-6, and six, win the division, rock and roll. And here we are in the postseason 
down against Buffalo, came back to win in overtime, and then the disaster against the Chiefs. And I call it that because within the context of that game, when you're up 24 to nothing, you hope you don't lose by 20, which is what it turned out to be. But glass half full, glass is 80% full, Mike and, and Amy. This is a wonderful era of Texans football. You got a quarterback, you got a really good team, you can reload every year and, and consider yourself a contender, not only for the division, but maybe, maybe for the whole AFC. Being consistent division winners, what is it going to take for Houston to make that jump to achieving the goals that I'm yeah. sure they want to achieve? Well, I think that you look at the Titans run. You know, you have to get hot. You have to have something going for yourself. I think that with the Titans, it kind of reminded me of like an NHL playoff run where you have a really hot goalie. You know, you have Derrick Henry and the difference he made performing at that level for that team, the way Tannehill was operating. And you got hot. You beat New England. You beat the Ravens. It was awesome. And it's funny because when you look at it on paper, it's like all you got to do is win two games and you're, you're in the AFC Championship game. You got a shot, right? And if you win that third, well, look where you are from there. But as we all know, these are giant mountains to climb every week when you're in the postseason. And the Titans were able to do it. I think the Texans have to get on a roll like that. Win consecutive playoff games. What's it going to take? You're going to have to have more clutch play. You're going to have to have a way to, look, offensively, sometimes you just have to take over the game. Even when your defense isn't playing well, you have to matriculate the ball down the field, get first downs, keep scoring. Look, even a field goal, even something to answer. Like when the Chiefs were starting to get back into that game in the divisional round, the Texans, even a field goal at one point might have been a big plus, but they went three and out after giving up some devastating scores, and it just it cascaded from there. It was just terrible. Secondary, secondary, secondary going to be the story of the Texans' offseason? I think so because you have an unrestricted free agent in Bradley Roby. You have Jonathan Joseph, who's played for a long time in the National Football League. Great player. And, and he's wonderful. I don't even know if he's done or not or whatever. I mean, I'd love to see him come back. I mean, I love J. Joe. But uh, I think you're going to have to look there to improve. They traded a third rounder during the season for Gary Ann Conley, first rounder for the Raiders formerly. And I think that he'll help. He'll help this football team. But you need more than that. Lonnie Johnson in year two, you need more than that. So I think they'll look in the secondary free agency and in the draft. And they're really sort of streamlining, not streamlining, but redefining what they're looking for in players. It's gotten more to Bill O'Brien's liking, I think, every single year he's been there. It's been six years now. He's going into the seventh season. But now with Jack Easterby and he doing it together, I really think you're going to see even more focus on a particular type of individual that they want in the building. They've had a lot of good players. They've had a lot of success under O'Brien. Five winning seasons in six years and the playoff appearances and everything. But obviously, to Amy's point, they want more. Describe that player. What does that player look like in Bill O'Brien's mind? They say smart, tough, dependable. And look, if you're from the Patriots tree, you're looking mm-hmm. at guys like that. I think it's a familiar. We've heard that. We've yes. heard that yeah. before. <laughs> well, and I think what that means is, and we've all debated what that means, is guys who love football, who love to practice, okay? And look, the injuries, they're going to happen to people. But it, are the injuries happening because of somebody not rehabbing well or not taking care of their body or whatever? And, look, cer- certain things are out of your control. We get it. But I think they, they're looking for guys who are just totally focused, committed on professional football. That is their passion. That is their life. While they're in this league, that's what they're going to do. They're going to be there for the offseason program. They're not going to be a problem around the locker room. And they're going to be smart enough to be able to adapt in game week. And what I mean by that is 
if you look at the Patriots and some of the guys that have killed us over the years, like Chris Hogan and, you know, even Edelman is a terrific player, right? This is not a guy that you would project. I mean, look at where he came from. Sure. It's not like, he, you know, he comes into the league and he's a, a top 10 draft pick, okay? They have guys that you can move around like chess pieces, adapt to different defenses, game plan the you-know-what out of the defense every single week and win that way because it's more than talent in this league, as we all know. There's so much wasted talent or underused talent in this league. They want to take whatever talent they have, and I think they will tell you this. They'll say, I'd rather have a guy who's smart, tough, and dependable than a really talented guy who I cannot count on to practice to be there on game day in a certain kind of way. So I think they want to get those kinds of players. So in having such a specific type of person that Mm -hmm. they're looking for, is the draft more where the Houston Texans are going to build this team because they can get those people and kind of groom them to be the player that they want to be as opposed to free agency where you're getting a guy who's a veteran player but – is kind of set in his ways and mentality. I I think it's going to be a mix, Amy. I really do, because they want to have guys. They want to also layer it. So let's say you have a phenomenal draft class. Well, everybody's contract comes up the same year. Not that you don't want to have a phenomenal draft class. You want every class to be, you know, filled with Hall of Famers. But you have to find a way to work with the cap and not be stuck where you have to pay three, four guys huge contracts in the same year. That's not setting yourself up for success in their eyes. So, you know, they've got, you know, Everyone looks at the cap space. They all go to spot track and look at cap space. And, oh, my gosh, you have so much money to spend. Just do it. Well, you have Watson, who's coming up pretty soon here. You have to pay Larry M. Tunsil. They've got guys they've got to compensate. And once you start writing those checks, oh, my gosh, we don't have much left. Talk to the Vikings a few tables over from here, and they'll tell you what a bad cap situation is. It's really difficult. So they want to be very careful with that. So I think it's a mix. Drafted players some free agents and they look to build that middle class you know a lot of people it's the 80 20 rule yeah 20 percent is going to make 80 percent of the money i know those are not real numbers but it's kind of like that in the national football league and a lot of professional sports but that middle class that tier of players between your 10th player on the roster and your 40th those are the guys who have to be right on it winning you football games week in week out you know look at the patriots how many times did a patrick chung make a big play in a playoff game well, you're not, you know, you're not sending him to Canton, but that guy, a player like that, comes up big, and I think those are the kinds of players they're looking for. All right, so no, no pick in first in the first round, right? Only pick on day two is 57. Do I have that right? No, though they have a second and a third. Okay, they okay. do have a third. Okay. Yeah, they have a third because uh, they're. <laughs> I, look, the compensation, the uh, compensatory picks are going to come in soon enough, right? Oh, so they'll but have a compensatory. No, no, I, and I forget how it shakes out, but they traded one to Con- – they were going to have three, okay? okay? But they traded one for Duke Johnson, one for Conley, and there's going to be one left okay. after it's all said and done. Now, they have a second-round pick because they did trade a two to Miami in the Tunsil deal, but that two belongs to next year. So next year they don't have a first or a second as we stand right now. But one thing about Bill O'Brien as the general manager, Bill – He's been aggressive. I mean, he's made things happen. So I have no idea what he's going to do. And I think it's going to be really exciting for the fans to see him go after things, whether it be picks, players, whatever, to see what he does as a GM. The deal he made for Tunsil and Kenny Stills right before the opening bell of this season was a blockbuster deal. And I think had they not made that deal, that win total would look a lot different. Yeah, you don't win the division. Yeah, probably don't. I mean, they needed a left tackle. Sure. Said, you know what? We can't wait. We can't wait for these rookies. We can't. I'm not going to piece it together. Let's go get a guy that we can have for a decade. Well, and especially when you're close, like what the tech. Yeah. I mean, 
if if I told somebody tomorrow that the 2021 Super Bowl champions are the Houston Texans, nobody would think that was an outlandish right. statement. You're in that conversation, and the minute you're in that conversation, you're close. Right. And can you, as you said earlier, get hot at the right time? But in order to get that kind of hot, you do have to have the pieces, yeah. like Kansas City did. Right. They, they certainly did. And remember, they didn't have the kind of regular season even they wanted. Right. Things kind of broke well for them at the end, and they got hot in the postseason. You knew they had the capability. Well, they were 6-4 and four when they left Nashville. How about that? And when the Titans came back and won the ball game, and I told Coach Mack, I said, I'm not sure this team loses again. Yeah. And uh, Wow. Well, yeah, I didn't know I'd go that far. But, <laughs> but I was talking about 12-4. and four. I wasn't I, – I mean, yeah. I, th- I thought – they had the capability if they got healthy and played up to what they could be, and they did, and that's and that's what it takes. It's kind of like the NCAA tournament in basketball. Well, it's a great point you make, though, because I'm sure Mike Vrabel talks about this, how after Thanksgiving, that's when the money is made or Absolutely. lost. Mm-hmm. You know, we get all hung up in what the records are. Sure. Look, as long as you're hanging around, and the Titans are a good example of this, you know, hanging in there, if you can get to a certain point where you start stacking wins in mid-November, late November, all right, now you're in, you got a really great shot to make the postseason, and you want to hit the postseason as hot and healthy as possible. And those December games are playoff games. They really are. You know, we always talk – I talk about each week being a building block. They're all gigantic building blocks to your NFL season. So, yeah, the early season wins are important. There's no question about that. But at the end, they take on even more magnitude because they can knock you out or put you in or whatever. And that's why this league is so wonderful. And the division, the AFC South. All right. So here, here's a – I'm sure you guys have done the research. But because a lot of fans in Houston are so upset over what happened, and they're like, ah, oh, the AFC South, we win the AFC South. The AFC South, since O'Brien has been in, this is the last six years, playoff victories. The AFC South is tied for second with the NFC West, right? The the leading division in playoff victories is the AFC East because of the Patriots. And they're the only ones in that division to win a playoff game right. in the last six years. Right. But in the last six years, the AFC South has put three teams in the AFC Championship game, tied for second in playoff wins with the NFC West. I mean, this is a hell of a division. And the last three years, you get two teams out of the division into the postseason. That's incredible stuff right there. This is one of the best, if not the best, divisions in football. And you have to look at it as a monumental challenge every year to try to win this thing. And that's why we did a whole podcast about the AFC South. Because we're back on top, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I think you you have to look at it also, you, you know, you need a Super Bowl champion out of here to really be able to like put that flag in the right. ground. But I think what happens is people look at the AFC South, they, they think about 2015 or something and, you know, it, it's another era here. This is a very difficult four-team division. Mark Vandermeer, Houston Texans voice, thank you so much for your time. Thanks a lot. For Amy Wells, I'm Mike Keith. We thank you for listening to the OTP. TV.